Welcome to the Creating Sales Stars podcast. Each week, our host Pete Evans will be joined by some of the big and upcoming names within the sales industry. This is brought to you by Sales Star UK. <laughs> Welcome to the Creating Sales Stars podcast, and you may uh, hear a different voice today. It's because there's been a slight role reversal in our special episode today, because this time my guest is Pete Evans. Uh, good afternoon, Oliver, and uh, it's great to be interviewed and be a guest on our very own Creating Sales Stars podcast. So, Pete, you've got loads of sales experience, and rather than me rattle through all your CV, I think it's best if you tell our listeners what you've done in the last 30 years because you've got such a vast experience in different areas of sales yeah well like a like a lot of people oliver um i fell into sales by accident um it wasn't my first career choice and um when i graduated from university uh, as you kind of remind me earlier more than 30 years experience work, sort of work experience um thank, thanks for that <laughs> um i uh I joined a major insurance company in the life and pensions division of a, a company called Royal Life, which was part of Royal Insurance. And uh, like a lot of graduates, I joined on a sort of, you could call it a generic sort of management development scheme. Um, and I, I got placements in various various departments, including what was what is now called HR, but at the time was called personnel. Um, and my first sort of proper role was as a staffing officer, and then I was promoted into the role of a sort of graduate career manager, um, where I had responsibility for promoting the business to uh, universities and what were then called polytechnics um, for gr- hiring graduates onto different graduate development schemes. And also um, that's where I developed a passion for developing and coaching people. So I had over 50 graduates each year on various graduate entry schemes, learnt a lot about um, recruiting people. And um, back in sort of late 1991, 92, um, the life and pensions company Royal Life went through a massive restructuring reorganisation. Nearly 800 people were made redundant. Um, so my role actually uh, disappeared. Um, and I was very fortunate to be kept on uh, to do job search for people in uh, Merseyside and Peterborough. Um, but the, my employer at the time also paid for us to have uh, some external redundancy counselling. So every Monday, um, a guy from Leeds who sadly passed away, now George, who worked for a, a redundancy placement company called Rights Associates, um, used to come across and give me some career advice. Um, and they, um, he got me to to undertake an, uh, an assessment, a disc profile through Thomas International, and. George asked me I'd ever worked in sales and I said well not that I can not that I can think of and he says well you've got the ideal profile to go and work in sales so I applied for various sales roles and um, I was fortunate enough to get a job with uh, a company called Friends Providence uh, in personal financial services sales to um, to start with and uh, went away on the training course three weeks in Salisbury um, came back from the training course to the, the Liverpool office where I was placed and um, initially for the first sort of couple of weeks I thought that I'd made the wrong career choice uh, I thought that sales wasn't uh, wasn't for me but I had a great branch manager Vincent Keeney again who sadly passed away um, 
and I learned so much about from Vincent about about sales, um, and then I went into sort of corporate sales, uh, advising companies on employee benefits, um, pension planning, planning exit strategies, and found that I was more well. I preferred dealing with businesses than individuals um, <coughs> in the homes. But as I began to get more successful, and eventually got into the top ten of us, the sales was about which averaged between. 500 and 700 and was consistently in the top 10 of that sales force I began to sort of study more what made me successful um, because I wasn't particularly extroverted and I'm I'm not particularly extroverted and so I started to look more into the psychology of, of sales started to sort of things like sales mindset so that that's you know where a lot of the things that I do now where I've got that um, developed that experience um I then went to set up on my own, have my own <coughs> sort of successful, first of all, appointed rep company linked to Friends Providence and then as an independent financial advisor, so still involved in selling. But um, I then set up my own consultancy, giving sort of doing business coaching, but I found my real passion is inspiring excellence in in sales teams. So uh, that's quite a short history. I hope that's <laughs> given you a bit of food for thought and the listeners a bit of food for thought. Well, yeah, well, yeah. You said there, um, when you made the step, or should we say a stumble into sales, why is it that a lot of salespeople and successful salespeople to this day, why do a lot of people not aim for sales to start with? Why do a lot of people stumble into sales? Um, Well, uh, that's a fantastic question. And and as you know, know, we're really passionate about um, developing our own talent. You know, we've got... We've got Dylan Cowan, who is a, the very first sales apprentice for Salesstar, both in the UK and, and globally. So we're very keen to develop our own talent, and we're, we're fortunate now that there, is, there are a few universities in the UK that have a specific degree in, in sales. We're, you know, we're developing links with Leeds Trinity University to, you know, further enhance that. And I think the reason that people don't go into sales is maybe there's a few things. I mean, you know, what one of our high performance coaches, Tim. You know, uh, mentions in, a, in another podcast that sales is actually hard work. You know, it, it, it's one of those careers where you have to be brave, you have to be courageous. Um, but it's also a role in an organisation where actually everything you do is exposed. You know, your level of activity, the results. You know, everything you do on a daily basis is is under scrutiny. So I think you you have to want to be under scrutiny. But yet the the rewards, and I'm not just talking about the 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 financial rewards that it brings you, but the other personal rewards, the sort of the, the satisfaction, the motivation, the the opportunity to learn. But I think he I think he is the reason that it that people aren't attracted to it. it, it it's often seen as a role in an organisation where because your your results are under scrutiny, it may be the sort of the the mentality well if I go into sales you know it's maybe got that stigma about oh, double glazing sales or car sales maybe it's not seen as a profession Oliver it was yeah. that what we're trying to do is you know one of my passions is raising the bar of excellence and professionalism in the world of sales so that's why I think also like careers in um, like marketing or technology may be seen as more glamorous yeah no I agree and it- Sales is obviously with me coming through the education system, 
more recently in the 21st century. I don't know, <laughs> I'm not saying they're old. <laughs> Thanks, there's, Oliver, for that. Sorry, yeah, there's yeah, dinosaurs yeah. wandering yeah, around yeah. when you left. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, a few but, in the still, they still are in the sales profession. <laughs> but you never see sales as a career choice. Let's say in schools, you never have um, a careers person coming in saying, yes, here's a career in sales. Um, it's always, as you said, marketing there, but you've got all your other... Uh, different vocations do you think there's still a negative misconception about sales and i know you touched a bit about like your double glazed salesperson yeah. is has it is it a hollywood thing where they've kind of put a picture on what a salesperson is or what 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 can you pinpoint it down to um i think you're right i don't think there's enough that like the professional bodies do to promote sales as a career within within schools or even even universities um and you know, a, a lot of people, you know, say I've got people in my family who've got who, who are engineers, and they will say to me, "Well, you know, they went into a proper job. It was a profession. A- engineering seen as a profession. You know, the tech space is seen as a profession. Doctors, a- a- accountants. So maybe, maybe it's maybe it's an outside perception. And I think also, particularly in the UK, um, a lot of people who go into sales is seen as if, well, I can't get a job anything else. I'll go in. I'll go into selling. So it. it it's maybe the the poor images he's got, and maybe images that are portrayed by the the press. You know, we think of the things like the hard sells. So I think it's I think it's really important to you know maybe in the UK what we're going to do is change the image of sales and and show that it's a a career. You can learn a lot of skills, um, and you can what you can really do is enhance yourself. You can develop yourself because the the skills that you learn in sales apply in all areas of your life and there's a great book that I that I read by Daniel Pink um, that, and the title of this book is To Sell is Human and in this book what he talks about is the fact that every decision we take in life needs influence and he said that if you replace the word selling with influence every transaction that you do is to do with selling and the reason he mentioned this is that we've got to influence our friends, our colleagues our family that's what we're doing on a daily basis we're all selling on a daily basis yet we don't recognize it yeah well, that's fantastic actually to say it adds a new meaning to influence influence and relating to sales i suppose you could say and going on to sales coaching influence and sales coaching are also very similar because you're influencing other people on how to influence others yeah that that's a great way of uh, of putting it, Oliver. Because you know, coaching is at the heart of everything that we do as a business when we work with clients. Because you know, lots of companies out there invest so much money in sales training, and sales training, as you know from you know being part of the team now for six months, is a really well. You know, it's an event, and it can create a lot of hype. It can create a lot of great feeling. But as soon as the course is finished, people start to forget what they've learnt, and so they don't apply it and they don't embed it. Coaching is all about helping the person or the the group of people you're working with to work out the answer, because often people actually know what they should do, but they need coaching. And coaching is actually about influence, because it's about coach. Great coaching empowers people to make the significant change in behaviours which can have a massive impact on the results. And as we know from the the research, the biggest piece of research that any organisation has ever undertaken into what makes a salesperson great by Objective Management Group, we've now 
evaluated, assessed over 2.2 million salespeople globally. 80% of success in sales is about mindset. And coaching people, salespeople around the mindset, because often salespeople know what to do, coaching has such a massive impact because it can help unblock things in your mind that are preventing you from asking the right questions, asking great questions with salespeople. Yeah, and talk about sales coaching. It's something you've got more and more involved in. And we'll come on again, building context about, was it three, two years ago? Of course, you came in contact with Paul O'Donoghue, our CEO and founder of SalesTech. Can you tell our listeners how you first encountered Paul and then built this SalesStar Europe? Yeah, so um, I first met Paul O'Donoghue um, through a mutual sort of connection with Objective Management Group, which I've previously referred to in the podcast. And at the very first Objective Management Group or OMG conference I went to in Boston, um, which I think is either six or seven years ago, time flies when you're having fun, um, Paul O'Donoghue was one of the... Um, was one of the speakers at the conference and you know there were lots of presentations over the the three days and I was really like a sponge because it was my first OMG conference I really wanted to learn what made a successful OMG partner and Paul's presentation really resonated with me and it really made me think and intrigued me because I thought well here's a guy who's got this company called Salestar um, you know the other side of the world in New Zealand New Zealand has, you know, just over 5 million people, less than a tenth of the population of the UK. And how come his business is one of the, you know, the second largest um, partner of OMG with such a small population? So I thought, this guy's got to be doing something right. So that that's where there's a connection. Um, and for the, for the listeners here today, we also had a, or, and still have a, um, you know, a shared appreciation of the values of sport through rugby. Um, Paul had also spent some time working in the UK and was actually a fan of my uh, beloved hometown uh, rugby league club of Wigan. Uh, in fact, he actually shared a story with me that um, he was one of the few individuals to have his car clamped going to watch <laughs> Wigan rugby in Wigan. Um, but it, it wasn't just that. It was the fact that he, he shared his vision of where, um, you know, where he wanted to take Salesstar as a business and that how, you know, traditional sales training was dead it was about transformation and that, and that word transformation stuck with me six seven years ago and has stuck with me today it was about getting transformational results with your clients and he was talking about you know taking all our content online and wrapping coaching around it so initially um my business um became a licensed partner of SalesStar. we were able to use the SalesStar content wrap our own coaching around it and um Going back, I think, would be nearly three, three and a half years ago, Paul reached out and said that they wanted to expand globally, but expand through the, the Salesstar brand and um, talked about doing a joint venture with us. So being, you know, myself being a, um, <coughs> heading up the sort of partner, Salesstar partner in UK. Um, and so I decided to go out to New Zealand for a ho- uh, sort of holiday for four weeks Um had an amazing time. If anybody's never been to New Zealand, this should definitely be one of the bucket list places to go to. And, and, it, and it's really developed from there. And, you know, about, uh, came back to the UK um, just before we went into the first, very first lockdown uh, and sort of started the the sort of paperwork to get the company up and running in the UK. 
and so we've been you know a sales style uh, practice now in the UK for I think coming up to t- coming up to two years. It's fantastic uh, that and the sales style UK is forever growing as well uh, with various members as you said um, Dylan joining the team yeah. uh, and myself as yeah, well. Yeah, yourself, yeah. Um, let's let's bring us back to that lockdown because yeah. y- here we are in lockdown unknown to anyone else businesses certainly those what couldn't adapt quicker ceasing should we say or at yeah. least putting on pause and then all of a sudden there's you with paperwork setting up a new business yeah. I mean were people around you saying whether it's a good or bad idea or did you have the mindset of should we wait to the end of lockdown or was it just let's go do it let's create Salestar um, so there were quite a lot of people sort of around me who were saying oh you know th- this is a really bad idea to be setting up a joint venture with a company to the side of the world whether that was you know whether lockdown existed or not um, they were probably even more saying this is even more stupid now you're in lockdown but I think what I really found was that you know going through that process gave us gave us real focus um it, it allowed us to change direction it you know we'd had access to all the sales star online content and some some weekly calls but this i think really accelerated our development it, in a way we were sort of like like guinea pigs um but i think what it really allowed us to do is to focus on what we're passionate about which is truly transforming the behaviors and mindsets of salespeople, sales managers and sales leaders. So, yeah, there's always a risk with everything, but I thought this is a real opportunity for us to grow, <clears throat> to be really focused, to be part of something uh something bigger. I, I, and I think that's what we really um we really grasped. So it was a yeah, it was there were a lot of early mornings and and sort of late nights going through the um the contract, but I think we wouldn't be where we are today without having gone through that and I think you know we really doubled down our efforts with our existing clients offered more value did did extra sessions which we didn't charge at the time because we felt that was the right thing to to do with our clients and I think that has really paid paid dividends yes so let's I was gonna say let's talk sales we are on the (laughs) sales staff so we've We've got the model now of uh, sales transformation <coughs> and coaching, yeah. and that's versus sales training. Yes. Just for the listeners, let's take to basics. What actually is the difference between training and, and coaching? I know you've touched on training yeah. being a one-off event, but how is coaching so different, and why is it so much better and more efficient for businesses to invest in? Um, <coughs> well, company companies um, invest a lot of money in, in the UK and globally in in sales training and what some of those companies look at is thinking right well if I train um, <coughs> Pete on say negotiation skills he's suddenly going to get <coughs> better at negotiating so I send him on a week's course I pay a lot of money for it and suddenly the following Monday he's going to be the superstar negotiator uh, and, and actually those organisations are for us are really missing the point because the key thing is is that 10% of learning takes place in the classroom and that can be these days that can be the virtual classroom 20% of learning takes place through coaching because coaching is then helping you embed what you've learnt in a classroom style environment and 70% of learning takes place through application now you've got to have all those three factors together to enable transformation to take place 
the the ease of it and the easy decision for an organization to say let's invest in some sales training because that often makes organizations feel good it gives the the person a golden glow and it's a box tick it's a box tick exactly coaching is more difficult because coaching has to be consistent sales managers and sales leaders have to learn new skills so they can coach their salespeople. And then also what they've got to do, and lots of people listening to this may say, oh, well, I don't like this word, role play. <laughs> <laughs> because application is then through role play, which then goes back to giving feedback and then re-coaching your salespeople. Coaching is hard work because you've got to be, you've got to be disciplined, you've got to be organised, and these are lots of things that sales managers will make excuses or oh, I haven't got the time to coach to coach Oliver but you've got to make time to coach your people and you've got to be you've got to be disciplined you've got to be authentic it's like sales coaching is actually asking great questions it, and it comes back to all you, you mentioned before the word the word influence but again also as a sales manager sales leader being there to do do observations and and there's some great tools out there. We're a partner of a, a company called um, Refract, which is part of Lego, um, and they've got plat- you know they've got a platform, a conversation intelligence platform, which allows you know you to do observations, set scenario challenges, and that's where the application can come in. You can use those platforms to review um, sales calls, you know, discovery meetings with clients. So so to the di- the key difference for me is training is part of what you need to to get transformation but if you're going to get true transformation and you're going to embed behavioral change you need to have coaching mm-hmm. and you know i'm really into the sort of sports mindset and you know we recently had the pleasure of interviewing jamie peacock the expert britain international and leeds rhinos and bradford bulls forward and, you know, and he he used this expression and he used it when he came to do some work with our team but last November you know what made you great in 2021 won't make you great in 2022 and what I took away from that was that you've constantly got to be changing what you do and coaching really helps embed change in yourself and the organization so for me that's the key difference coaching embeds sustainable change in individuals and organizational behavior yeah, and that leads, one of my favourite words is the word development. Yes. And that is very similar to what you've said. It's that continuous change, the continuous improvement, all comes under development. Yes. And that could be development of skills. You mentioned role plays, and I know role <laughs> plays, um, it's one of them contested uh, ideas. Who do you role play on? Who does role plays? How authentic are role plays? I mean, for you, when did you first actually start having the mindset of doing role plays was it when you entered the kind of sales star picture or your previous business or um <clears throat> so when i first went into sales with friends problem what's interesting is is that um all all, all those years ago too many years to remember Oliver, although you did try and remind me earlier well you've said it that <laughs> yeah. <time. laughs> yeah yes i did um we used to have to do weekly role plays um they they, they weren't videoed but we'd practice certain parts of the sales process the, the, we used to call it a fact finding meeting at the time um, but I, what I noticed was as people got more experience they didn't want to do role plays, they were resistant to <coughs> to role plays um, but I think certainly you know in, in the last few years particularly being part of uh, part of Sales Star 
you know, internally we do role plays. D- Dylan does role plays. Alison and myself do role plays. We do a lot of observation using the the refractor Lego platform as well. You know, to get feedback, listening out for keywords. We can use that platform to give each other feedback. So to answer your question, you know, particularly the last few years have become um, much hotter on using role plays myself. You know, to, to to practice. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable, but I would rather make a mistake in a role play with one of the team than be practicing on my prospects and my clients because if you're practicing on your prospects or your clients it's a very expensive way to practice much better to practice within um sorry much better to practice on internally so talking about practicing on prospects have you had any clients who you known have done it and have they had any results or issues caused by role playing with clients Oh, I mean, this is this is something we could talk about all day, um, Oliver. So, um, well, like anybody, you know, be, being authentic, um, there have been a few times um, when, personally, I practice on a prospect or even a client, and the wheels have really come off. Um, you know, it it, it, uh, it shows. I'd like to share a story from um, when I was in corporate financial services and. Um, <clears throat> and it's a really bit of a horror story. Um, <laughs> so I, I had two clients who were both um, in the software uh, sort of sector, and they were actually competitors. One was based in Leeds, and one was based in Manchester. And I went to do an account review with the the business in Manchester. Um, they were getting more and more profitable, and the, the one of the objects of the meeting was to secure additional investment into the pension scheme for the directors. So we were going to we were going to secure a significant increase in the monthly contribution and a one-off lump sum. Um, securing this business would have probably secured me about three months of my annual target. Um, and I, I went to see them. Went to I was in the boardroom, got out my my laptop, plugged it into the um, the screen, uh, sat down, and within about 60 seconds, the colour must have drained from my face. When one of the direct, when I, one of the directors said, "I'm glad to see that you're really well prepared for this meeting," and he said, "I think you le- need to look at the screen, close your laptop uh, down, and uh, <clears throat> maybe give me a ring when you can prepare properly." Uh, on the screen, it only had the compet- the competitors' logo <laughs> and the names of the directors. Um, I-, I remember getting back in the car, and my regional sales director Ed ring me saying how did the meeting go and I said you don't want to know he said yes I do I said I'm on my way back to the office in Wakefield <clears throat> and we'll we'll do a debrief then so um, th- that was a really salutary lesson in um, not preparing and not practicing um, so th- that was my own you know own experience and, and that's that stuck with me um, it did take me about nine months to get back in with that client's and they made me really work hard uh, for any future. And they did remind me for about two years about my lack of preparation. Um, so that there, there, there's a really good example from my own MONA experiences. Um, yeah, we see clients doing it. Um, the biggest pushback we get from salespeople is, this isn't real life, and I wouldn't do this in real life. Uh, and then you go and observe them, and you see actually they're not articulating the unique value proposition they're not articulating the positioning statement um there is no structure 
or what you hear is oh well I've got the, the best one I heard was Pete you don't understand I've got some magic sauce and my winning personality <laughs> <laughs> yet if they were that great at sales you know they they probably wouldn't need coaching but the analogy I often use is if you look at great um, great sports people they've all got coaches they've all got you know they, why do sports teams practice you know they follow a game plan yeah it's so they can execute and and there's so many analogies between sales and uh, and sports you know sales is all for me is all about having a process which you consistently follow and when you consistently follow a, a process you get better results but to be able to follow that process you have to practice and you have to break that you know parts of the discovery meeting down into the parts you know the component parts of the discovery meeting so you get better at each of them and you then get the compound effect yeah and I think you can only get so far having the magic sauce it's, and when we're talking about development you're developing but it's very hollow yes development let's take it back to that setback you had in that yes. story you gave us was there a change of mindset from the learn of that and we're going to come on to sales mindset as you have mentioned throughout yeah. the podcast was that a big was it a big learn and are big learns like that good for improving or changing your mindset um yeah it was it, it, it was a it was a massive learn um it was for me there were there were a few things thinking back to it um one is the feedback that i got from from, from ed he he used the expression that is a real schoolboy error and it and it was and i have to take you know take responsibility I think the second thing that it made me really think about was that, um, you know, although I had a um, a PA who was there to get me sort of organised, it would have been easy to blame somebody else. Um, and and also, you know, like I still do today, I had, you know, had written down, down personal goals that you know I knew exactly how much bonus this deal was going to was going to generate. So there was a bit of there was a bit of swallowing of pride, I think. <laughs> um, and I knew, I knew how hard I was going to have to work to um, to actually get um, the next the next deal or the next deals to make up that shortfall in my target. Now I was actually ahead of target at that time, but I knew that I was going to have to work hard to get the the next level, um, and and that was a real you know learning point for me. But also I think the ability just to unpack things so that it has stuck with me. And I think actually, whenever I've faced setbacks, and I've had some, I've had some personal setbacks in business, mindset is so important, and being able to be resilient, be brave, be courageous, and have the right mindset is so important because, you know, like I said right, this, you know, one of the questions you asked at the start was about, you know, why do people not go into sales? It's all about you've got to have resilience, but you you can only build up that resilience through experience but you know looking back on my sales career if there's one thing that I could change it's listen to people who've got more experience yeah and try not to be so stubborn and think well I know better that is a big skill um as a lot of people say you've got two ears one mouth listening is such an important skill how often do you see people who don't listen and we, this comes back to the extroverted introverted right at the beginning about gift of the gab and stuff like yeah. that why is listening so important and why do you think a lot of people 
don't actually take up that skill or forget to listen? Um, well, it's often said that what we do is we, we listen to respond rather than truly listening. And listening is a skill and it needs to be practised. And so many times you see or observe or listen to salespeople when they're not really listening. So they're actually thinking about the next thing they're going to say. So they miss opportunities or they don't dig deeper when actually if they actually asked a real follow-up question or clarifying question, they'd start to uncover more needs. So they'd start uncovering the pain points of their customers or their prospects. So that would really, really help. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I know you're a very keen runner. Yeah. And we talk about the parallels between sport and uh, sales. As a runner and with the mindset of doing the 100 miles, obviously 15, fantastic yeah. achievement. Uh, you did it as part of the Greenhouse Sports 100 miles challenge. We hear from those who completed the 100 <laughs> that their mindsets went to a funny place. But how important is it to have that mindset to push you through to a goal? And that's the same in sales from the start of prospecting to the close of deal. Um it's so so important because at any stage in any any deal there'll be some highs you know you'll get to the next you'll get to the next steps um jamie peacock used this expression when we were to, when he was talking about planning for the 100 mile run for greenhouse sports that it's about putting one foot in front of the other and I, and for me you know I, i've <clears throat> would i have the mindset to complete 100 miles who, who knows um <laughs> <clears throat> but i think that you know I, I, i've I've entered for a marathon uh, next year. Never thought would, uh, I would do that. I think it's for me. It's about the challenge, um, and there are some days when you know, being in sales, being in sport, you know, going out running, you don't feel like doing it. But it was Jamie Peacock who said, "It's the days when you don't feel like doing something, but you still get out of bed and doing it, which shows where, you, where your mindset is." And he said it's easy to get it's easy to get up and train as a professional sports person when the sun's shining and you feel that golden glow inside, but a true professional shows up <coughs> and trains when they don't really feel like it. And there are some days when I have to go for run as part of my training because I'm training to do the Manchester Half Marathon, which is only two only two weeks on Sunday, <laughs> which is quite scary. Sudden realisation <laughs> around the corner. Yeah, um, but there are some days when I don't feel like it, but I still get out and do it. Uh, and it, it, it's those days where you really learn about yourself and your mindset and it is putting one foot in front of the other and you learn so there's a lot that I've learned from running about my own mindset and you know a lot of great people are surrounding myself who are much better runners than me but I think the things that I've learned from them I can apply to my role as a as a leader in sales star and in developing a team and working with my clients yeah and I think we could agree after 100 miles putting one foot <laughs> in front of the <laughs> If ever it's a bit hard probably by yeah, the yeah. 99th mile yeah. well I am cautious of time um, Pete for any new sales leaders what are starting and listening what is that one golden tip that you could give one um, that, that's a great question I think um, keep focused be be authentic um, share your vision with your team um, you know be yourself open up and and i think more than ever be vulnerable and and listen to feedback listen to feedback from the people you report to and the people that report into you well, that's fantastic pete uh last thing how can 
people and our listeners contact our regular host of the Great Sales Files <laughs> podcast, but Pete Evans. Um, so you can contact me through LinkedIn if you uh, type in Pete Evans and Sales Star, um, a smiley face will come up. <laughs> and um, or you can contact me through the Sales Star website, which is www.salesstar.com forward slash UK. Well, thank you very much, Pete. I'm sure you'll be happy to be at the other side of the microphone um, from future episodes, but thank you for joining me today. Oh, uh, you know, uh, thanks so much, Oliver, for interviewing me, and uh, maybe one day you'll invite me back to be uh, interviewed again. Oh, well, it might be the other way. Yeah, I might yeah. be you interviewing <laughs> me. Anyway, uh, there is multiple episodes to listen to on the Sales Star podcast. Uh, just search Creating Sales Star uh, podcast on all your streaming uh, platforms but again Pete thank you very much and uh, have a good day yeah thank you very much Oliver thanks for listening this podcast was brought to you by Sales Star and hosted by Pete Evans for more information about what we can offer you head to our website at salesstar.com forward slash UK you can also find us on all social media platforms just by searching for Salestar UK.